Good morning, Commissioner Redmond. Good morning. I assume that uh, Commissioner Melton will be joining us shortly. I'm really counting on her being here today. You know, I don't think she'd miss it. <laughs> Might want to, but I don't think she would. <laughs> is, uh, I don't recall, is Jane? Commissioner Melton is leaving for Costa Rica again. She's tired of being here. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna get off the hook that easily. You know, you will still be appointed chairperson even in absentia, so. <laughs> um, do we, is Jay joining us today? I can't remember if he was gonna be back today. I don't know. Um, perhaps Jen Jay can let is here, oh, here he is. He is back. He's hiding from us. And he is in a splendid mood. <laughs> It's infectious, it's going around. Oh, that's not a very good joke, Commissioner Redmond. Uh, <laughs> Jen, it looks like Kathy has her hand raised, so I'm guessing she wants to be promoted. Welcome back, Jay. Good to have you back in the house. Yeah, thank you. It was, uh... Very fortunate that both legs of the trip went well yesterday because um, the potential to be stranded was quite high. Yeah, did you have uneventful travel? <laughs> yeah, no, everything was okay. relatively smooth, which was shocking because there was lines of people all over getting rebooked and stuff. Great. I think everybody is here and our First item on the agenda, I think is, uh, give me a second here. I believe it's our consent agenda or do we have accounts payable? Accounts payable is first. We do have, Jay, uh, do you have uh, accounts payable to present to us? I, I do. Um, there's no specific issues of concern in terms of the overall um, accounts payable. Um, the accounts payable come to uh, $144,314.75 plus payroll and burden, which is uh, another $840,943.56 for a total disbursement of $992,258.31. Mr. Chairman, I move to approve the accounts payable as presented by the county manager. I hear a second. Yes. Do oh. you hear me? I, yes. I, I hear okay. It. You sounded like you were underwater for a second, but then it. <laughs> we have a motion and a second. And Jay, I understand that uh, there are no items of note that we need to hear about. Yes. Very good. Uh, is there any discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Next up, we have. Uh, consent agenda items. And uh, I think I would like to pull item A for discussion. All right. Um, Jennifer, what are our resolution numbers? We are starting the new year with the resolution 
22-01. Of course. <laughs> Silly me. Um, at this time, I would like to approve the consent items. Um, I, under uh, direction from Commissioner Corrigan, we will be pulling item A. So we will be looking to approve items B, C, and D uh, and E uh, with with item B having the resolution number of 2022-01 and item C having the resolution number of 2022-02. Second. We have a motion and a second uh, on a discussion item. Uh, I, I might've should have pulled item B, but I think it would be, uh, important to note that uh, this year for the first time we are including the Martin Luther King holiday as one of our official holidays and I think that's uh, important to note at this time. Is there any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Uh, I would move to uh, approve consent agenda item A. Uh, uh, and after a second, we'll have just a little bit of discussion. Uh, second. We have a motion and a second. Uh, I think of note on uh, uh, the consent agenda item A, which is our committee appointments. It does include transfer of uh, or naming uh, Commissioner Melton as our chairperson for the upcoming year. And I'd just like to say that uh, after two years of having served as chairperson uh, of this commission that I have really appreciated the support uh, that you guys have offered me uh, uh, during that really a tumultuous two years. And uh, I'm just making the commitment to Chairperson Melton that I will attempt to be as supportive of her in this role as she was of me. So thank you, Beth, for agreeing to take this on. Um, yeah, and I would like to just thank you. I think, um, as you said, it's been a very tumultuous two years. And I think um, it was great that you were willing to continue for two years to really maintain some continuity as we navigated um, through some of the, what I hope were the most challenging moments of the pandemic, although we're not done yet. Um, and so thank you for, for all of your leadership over the past two years um, doing that. I, often I think this role is pretty, um, perfunctory, you know, it's just leading meetings, but I think it, it really has been something different over the last two years in, in what has been needed. So um, thank you very much for, for everything you've done, Tim. Thanks, Beth. And I would just want to take a quick moment here to actually thank both of my fellow commissioners. Um, in the last year, they have taken me under their wing, shown me the ropes. Um, <laughs> And on a couple of occasions stopped me from making some boneheaded uh, <laughs> mistakes. And it's good to know that I have people that support me um, and are looking out for the best interests of the county. And it's been a pleasure to serve with both of you. 
And I look forward to seeing the difference in the styles between the two of you. <laughs> we don't get to do the ceremonial um, changing of the chairs, though, unfortunately, since we're virtual today. <laughs> well, and I was uh, I was anxious to hand you the gavel, but uh, yeah, uh, you know where to find it when you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Uh, is there any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 I, Chairperson Melton, you should take over the meeting now. Thank you very much. No problem. Um, so I guess as my first order of business, we will have a public comment. Um, we This public comment session is for any item that is not on today's agenda. Um, and just for clarification, we will have a public comment period during our Board of Health meeting this afternoon in relation to the the public health order that's being considered. Um, so if anyone who is here today wishes to make public comment on items not on the agenda, um, you can raise your hand at this time, either in Zoom or using star nine on your phone. I am not seeing anyone here for public comment today. So we'll go ahead and close the public comment period um, and turn it over to Kathy for a discussion on hiring a public health nurse. Um, good morning. Uh, I am here on behalf of Roberta Smith, uh, our public health director, and she is requesting to hire Susan Madigan um, public, as the public health nurse. At step six of the pay scale, Ms. Madigan meets all the education and work experience to be hired at step six. She has a Bachelor of Science, a Bachelor of Arts, is a registered nurse, and has 20 years of relevant experience, 18 years above the minimum requirement in the job description. Um, I recommend approval to hire the public nurse at step six, and the county manager has reviewed this request and approve placing this on the agenda for your consideration and approval. Thanks, Kathy. Um, Jay, do you wanna add any comments before we? You know, we're just really fortunate to have a qualified person um, with an extensive background um, in, in health um, nurse coming forward for this position. So I'm grateful for the application and she clearly meets the step six. Um, entry-level pay. Great. Um, so I, if there's not any questions, I can, would be ready to entertain a motion. I can do that now that I'm no longer the chairperson. I guess I have to step, <laughs> start making motions. So, uh, so nimble. Madam, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Madam Chair, I would move to approve the hiring of the new public health nurse at step six. I will second that. We have a motion and a second. Is there any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Tim, do you want to vote? Aye. Great. <laughs> um, I think we can move forward with our 945 item. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. Um, can we, yep, we have Jenny here, great. So um, we are considering uh, new precinct boundaries. So welcome to our 
new county clerk, Jenny Thomas. Um, and if you would go ahead and let us know what's going on here, that would be great. Um, Jenny, if you are speaking, you are still muted or perhaps you stepped away until 945. I don't know. Um, so Jen, it looks like maybe, um, Jenny is on the phone and we need to promote her phone, the phone number that's listed, I'm assuming. All right, so Jenny, I think we have you on the phone now and I think you have to, okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yes, we can. Thank All you. Right. Good morning. <laughs> so we are looking to modify our current precincts. Um, so what we did to land on the information that you have is we pulled our registered voter totals because precincts are driven by the amount of registered voters versus the commissioner districts that are by population. So we overlaid our voter totals over our current precinct map, and then we were able to identify areas where we needed to expand. <clears throat> so you'll notice that we added a precinct within the city of Steamboat. And then the other change to note on this would be the Hayden precincts. Um, they used to run east and west, and now we're going to have them running north and south. And the reason for that is it allows for more growth in that town. Um, so most of the subdivisions and everything uh, being built are going to be able to expand voter totals uh, with the north and south lines better versus the east and west because the buildings in Hayden aren't building as much in the north as they are um, in the south. So we just flipped that line and that's going to allow for some more growth. So we feel like with these precinct boundaries, it's going to give us the room to grow. And then hopefully in another 10 years, uh, there won't be much to modify as far as the precincts go. Um, thanks, Jenny. Um, it looked like there was not a map included. Is it, um, if, if folks wanted to see that, what's, how would they be able to do that? Um, yeah, I have a map. Um, that Emmy put together for us. Uh, we're gonna have it recorded into public record and then we'll also have it on our website. So if you guys want, I can send it over to you. I apologize, I thought that was included. Not a problem. Um, so maybe after yeah. you send it, we could just post it to this agenda item sort of retroactively, just so that if, if anyone was looking for it, it would be easy to find there. Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Um, Commissioners, do you have any questions for Jenny? No. Commissioner Corrigan? I assume that's a no. You're a little bit frozen. <laughs> We're back to the Zoom world. This is how it goes. Um, I am not sure of whether this is an item that um, needs to be a public hearing. Do we need to open this to public comment? Jenny, do you know? Um, I don't believe that we actually do need to open this to public comment. Uh, not a bad idea, but we do have to have it in place by the end of this month. Okay. Um, statutory, so. 
Well, um, I'm just thinking of what Eric has told us, which is that um, if it requires a public hearing, if you have public comment, then there can be no doubt that a public hearing was held and I don't see any harm in just opening it for public comment just to cover our bases. Um, so I'll go ahead and do that. If there's anyone here who wishes to make public comment on the precinct boundaries that are being proposed, um, please go ahead and raise your hand at this time. <laughs> All right, I am not seeing anyone, so we will go ahead and close public comment and um, turn it back to the commissioners for any questions, discussion, or a motion. Madam Chair, if you're prepared, I will uh, make a motion. Yes, sir. All right. Um, I move. Uh, I move to approve. Um, the public health nurse at step six. Oh, Tim, Oops. jump down one item. We're oh, on you're the right. boundaries. My apologies. No problem. Okay. Um, I move to approve and sign resolution dash. 03-2022-03, a resolution adopting updated route county precinct boundaries according to the attachments submitted, including legal descriptions and map. Second. We have a motion and a second. Is there any further discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Thank you, Jenny. Uh, hey, Beth. Uh, yeah, I, I apologize. I'm definitely having some uh, bad internet out here. I think I'm freezing up quite a bit. Uh, so just be patient with me. We've had high winds out here. I think it's messing with uh, my internet connection. No problem. If it strategically goes out during our board of health meeting, I might get suspicious, but I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all right for now. Um, those are all of our agenda items for this morning. Um, so we can move to a county manager update. Hey, I did not have um, provide you a written update this week. It, really the, the major items um, that we're dealing with is obviously COVID, which is the topic of our public health meeting. Um, ensuring that our operations are continuing at the right levels within the county. Um, we did make take some steps over a week ago to set up um, a satellite dispatch center if we needed to separate crews, and that's at the Hayden Fire Station up and running. And then also to try to stagger some of our public works crews as they report to uh, to work um, outside of plowing days when they're right to their equipment and, and scattered to, to try to make sure that we kept folks um, apart and were able to respond to the storm cycles over the, uh, over the weekend. Um, I think we're in pretty good shape so far at that side, but we'll continue to, to monitor it. Um, so we'd put those kind of mitigation efforts in place early on after right around the time that our first update um, from Roberta and Dr. Harrington about a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. Um, so those are kind of a, the major um, items and we'll get into those more this, um, this afternoon. Um, the other item is 
we've been implementing our, um, you know, working on not implementing, but working on finalizing the compensation study that we've done and implementing it. So where that stands right now is last week, all the department heads were sent detailed information with how things um, worked out with each one of their, um, each one of their um, employees. Every employee got the 4.7 COLA at the 1st of um, January. And then the plan is to implement this pay scale, um, the adjustments the 1st of February. Um, the compensation committee is meeting again this afternoon to kind of look at a, a couple details for some folks who are reclassified and what steps they should be at. Um, other than that, most of the heavy lifting is done on this. Um, we did put in, as we talked about at the last meeting, um, we proposed or the compensation committee had proposed a 20% um, cap on higher earners, those over 100,000 as a, a raise to um, acknowledge that some of the, our lower paying positions at a 20% or more increase might be necessary to make them competitive. And so we, uh, we put that in place um, and then rounded up to the next step that they would be at. Um, so they were actually at a step within the system. Um, with that, as we showed you last week, we were um, within budget for, or slightly below budget on um, what it looked at like to implement this whole system. Uh, now, one of the other things that we wanted to bring up and, and Kathy's with us that we wanted to bring up to you is, as I mentioned the last couple meetings, um, we do have a series of positions which pay scales came in quite a bit lower and we're gonna most likely have to hire at much higher steps to be competitive for hiring people. We may end up adjusting those this next time around as we redo the system, but particularly at the airport, um, there are some positions which came in um, quite a bit lower than what we can actually hire people to do the jobs. If we were going to stay with hiring people at the, you know, one, two or three level, unless they have significant experience. Um, so that's something we're going to have to address and put together a, a policy for the, uh, um, for the board. I mean, for example, some of the restaurant positions at the airport, will probably require a hiring at a, like a step eight or nine, not at a step, you know, one, two or three, just the practical side. And we're gonna have to work with the department heads to kind of identify those. I don't think it's a huge list, but there is kind of a handful out there that we're gonna have to address on the, on the lower end. Ultimately, we may need to move those positions, but um, we weren't to that point. Kathy, what else did you wanna add from that? Um, I think one of the things we talked about that was undecided last week, and it may continue to be undecided, is the appeal process and how, you know, historically what we've done is um, department heads have been able to appeal the results of the comp survey. And I think there was a discussion as to how we were going to do that this year, if we were going to do that. And um, so I think that's a discussion that at some point we'll need to um, fine tune. Yeah, and, and I think in general, internally, when we talk like with Kathy and I, um, when we talk about an appeal process, instead of going through a huge appeal process and um, bogging down a ton of time on HR, 
that we, you know, jump in within a, a year or 18 months and see if, you know, these, we'll have the system in place where we can reevaluate positions and put the effort to that as opposed to having a whole series of, of appeals. But there is a, a culture within the organization where appeals have been kind of the, um, the status quo of, of how to handle this type of issue. I guess I feel a little unclear on what people would even use as a basis for appealing. I mean, just, I feel like my employees should be making more than what the comp study says. I mean, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where it's not just a waste of your time. I hate to be flippant about it, but. Well, you know, as I stated last time, if that process is there, it will be used. And I'm really glad to have Commissioner Melton back in here for this part of the conversation. Um, my thought is, you know, let it stay out there for a year, let it be proven. And then if people have challenges, well, then they should have something they can base it on when they come back to us too. I think there's gonna be, I think that there's always a fear factor from, department heads as to my people are going to leave, um, the salary's not competitive, the city's paying more money. Uh, I think all those things come up and then they start to kind of wordsmith job descriptions like this summary doesn't match my job description, this person's at a higher level. And I think, I, I, I think that, you know, in some cases, there could be situations where we need to look at it more closely, but in the majority of the situations, I think, you know, it, I think the salary survey is, was thorough and, um, you know, I, it, it will be hard to go through a lot of this, you know, through the appeal process. It's like, we're doing an analysis of the analysis and, um, this is going to sound terrible, but I think a lot of times when it comes to numbers, you can kind of, you, you can move them around and, you know, you can make things look the way you want sometimes. And, and just real quick, we did do a comparison on where we have similar job descriptions with the city and their new pace scale. And Correct me if I'm wrong, Kathy, but we were very comparable on the vast majority of jobs and um, and for some higher um, in some of our areas where we're having trouble hiring right now, our pay scales would be a little bit higher um, in some cases. So there might be a few outliers where things might be lower, but they're either on par or above in, in most cases. Isn't that how you saw it, Kathy? Yeah, I, 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 I do think the process was very thorough. Um, and I think that unfortunately, not everybody is going to get an increase. And, you know, one of the things with the, with these salary surveys is it, it's a win if we don't have big outliers. I mean, I know people are looking at other individuals and saying, well, they're getting so much more, but it's really, um, it's really a problem when we're, we're not aligned. Success for us is when we don't have to make huge changes. So, but I think it's, I would, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's not correct that there are people who are not getting an increase. Everyone is getting a 
pretty significant cost of living adjustment. Um, and so I would just be careful about that piece of it. But I guess I would just say that if you feel like some ability for people to ask questions or raise concerns is necessary, I still am not convinced it's necessary, but I would keep it pretty straightforward, like a written request to review an individual position. And that's it. You know, I don't not, I, and then you review it. And if you think there wasn't anything that justifies doing something different, then you say, I'm sorry, I've reviewed it. And, and there's nothing that justifies doing something different. So I'd like to respectfully disagree, Madam Chair. Um, <laughs> Fine, Tim. I guess you can do that. <laughs> uh, my view of it was, and I think I made pretty much the same comments a week ago, which was we went through a really thorough process uh, with a classification study uh, and a really thorough process with the salary survey. Uh, if there was some question about the methodology that was used, I think that that would be a fair question to bring up. But I hesitate to open the door to individual appeals. Uh, if someone could demonstrate that the methodology that we used uh, in both of those studies was somehow incorrect or incomplete, then, then that's a legitimate question. Frankly, uh, I think Kathy and her team did as good a job as uh, could have been done under the circumstances. And uh, I, I, I'm just hesitant to open the door to any kind of an individual appeal process. Kathy, can I take a moment and ask you what your thoughts and concerns are? And if there was an appeal process, what would you like to see it look like? Um, I, I, I think that it's, if, if somebody feels that the process, you know, there was somehow an error in the process, for example, someone approached me yesterday as, as far as, you know, the implementation of, of the, the salary information and why we were doing something a particular way. And I thought, you know what, that's a legitimate question. And Jay and I talked about that this morning, but as far as doing an analysis of all of this, I, 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 you know, I get that it's individuals and their people and everybody's worried about what they're making, but it, I, I'm afraid that we're going to uh, kind of, uh, we're going to manipulate things so that so that job descriptions maybe aren't as accurate as they were, or, you know, like you said before, Tim, you know, one person may be okay with it, but if they see their neighbor doing it, they're going to, they're going to jump on it and do it too. So um, I hate to say this, but I, I, I'm not pro the appeal process. Well, I'm going to tell you, if I was in your situation, I wouldn't be either. I mean, just, just redoing the job descriptions after we had already done the job descriptions prior to doing the, you know, this classification or the, the, the salary study was a huge undertaking and the data just keeps moving and just makes it really hard for us to ever have anything complete. Well, and then my thought on that job description is the department head 
was basically behind it. And um, I would assume the employee got a chance to review it. The employees were, they put together the PDQs. Um, I don't necessarily know if every employee has reviewed their final job description, but every department has reviewed those final job descriptions and approved them. They also approved the matches for that were provided by employers council that determined what the salary was gonna be. So it seems to me that they had quite a bit of input on the front end, you know, and sometimes you've got to live with what you put together. It sounds to me like we're in agreement that we don't really see any justification for an appeals process to occur. And if something changes, Kathy, you let us know and we can reconsider that. But I, it doesn't sound like it sounds like we're all in agreement about that. And I think if we did have a process, I think it probably should just stay with Jay and myself and maybe the comp committee and not I don't think that the commissioners really need to be involved in that process because I think historically, historically, I think you were. No, we don't want to do it. Okay, thank you for your time. You too, Kathy. Uh, Just uh, just once again, uh, Beth, uh, and I expressed it last week, I think uh, that uh, Kathy and the team deserve some praise for shepherding this really long, difficult project to uh, a completion. So I just want to acknowledge that hard work. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Tim. I think long was essential in that comment. (laughs) And and I also just really quick wanted to thank Chris Cooper because she did the heavy lifting on this. And um, then when we started going sideways on things, she gave us common sense solutions on on how to move forward. So that she's been critical to being able to, to move this forward. Thanks for that. What else have you got, Jay? That is all I have for you at this this time period. Great, sounds wonderful. Any questions for Jay before we move on? Yeah, just just one. Hey Jay, uh, are we uh, making any progress on uh, hiring a code enforcement officer that we budgeted for in 2022? Not. Right off the bat, our, our plan right now is to fill the planning tech position first um, before filling the, the code, and, and that's in, in process. But our concerns are if we start right off the bat with code enforcement, many of those are going to be special use permits. So we need to make sure we have the infrastructure in place to, to deal with the corrective actions. So it's in process, but it'll be a little bit before we actually have the code person on board. Great. Thank you. Jay, are we thinking about cross-training that person? I, I, I'd have to check with um, Christy and, and Todd on that. I think there's some natural cross-training on that anyway, um, but I'm not sure how much would be actually on the planning tech side, but uh, I'll check with them on that. Anything else for Jay? All right, great. Um, I don't see Eric here. Am I missing something? Oh, I see Linnea. Linnea, I don't know if you have a legal update for us or if we know 
if Eric will be joining us or if there's no legal update. Jen, could you promote Linnea, please? Uh, good morning. I definitely did not have any legal update um, when I spoke to Eric yesterday. He all we had said was there wasn't much. I do know he was having trouble with his computer yesterday and today. So, um, but I think we are good unless there are any questions. Great. Any questions? All right. Wonderful. Thanks, Linnea. Have a great day. You too. Um, so we will turn to commissioner's updates. Um, Commissioner Corrigan, you seem to be chomping at the bit, so I will just let you go. <laughs> thank, thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, yeah, I just have a few things uh, just to uh, raise uh, some awareness around. Um, so uh, we've had some, I guess at this point I would call them minor delays, relatively minor delays in the progress on the HHS building. There have been some uh, delays in some structural detailing. Uh, we will be having a regular uh, OAC meeting tomorrow. My understanding is that most of those issues have been resolved. Uh, and I'm just addressing this because uh, many of you may have noticed there's been very little progress on the construction site over the last couple of weeks. And that's not actually because of weather or holiday issues. It's actually been, been a, a, a couple of these design issues. I'm hopeful that after tomorrow's meeting, I'll be able to report that uh, uh, most, if not all of those design issues have been resolved and the, the, the crews can get back to work and get some concrete poured and get the building uh, moving forward. Um, I had a meeting with uh, uh, some folks from the town of Oak Creek this morning, uh, Mayor Knoble, uh, uh, David Torgler, the town manager, and Tom Holliday, their uh, maintenance director. Um, and this is uh, referring to the sheriff's reservoir issue. Uh, they are in the process of uh, looking for some partners to help fund the uh, construction design documents that are needed for the uh, overall project uh, repair of the dam. Uh, I got some informa more information today on what the actual issues are with the dam. Uh, in terms of some of the degradation of uh, some of the dam structure itself, as well as the inadequate nature of the spillway. And that for some years, the uh, whoever the folks are at the state that manage dam safety have been letting the town know that it's necessary, it will be necessary to do some repairs that, um, that, uh, that process of letting the town know there is an issue has accelerated to the point that they're going to be required to repair the dam or uh, abandon its use. Uh, the, the 
from Route County's perspective, the, the real issue uh, is a, at least in the short term or medium term, is this, the structural integrity of the dam and the threat of what might happen if the dam failed and floodwaters went down Trout Creek uh, down towards Milner. Uh, I think it's a, a legitimate concern. Uh, I indicated to the folks at the town this morning that I was personally supportive of providing some funding out of our ARPA funds to help them uh, get this process moving forward on the design side of the equation. And uh, of course, uh, like many other things, uh, they need to move sooner rather than later. And I know that we have committed to a, <clears throat> a process of carefully considering all funding requests for uh, our available ARPA funds. But uh, given the fact that there's an actual safety issue at stake here, uh, I was going to request that we place uh, an item on the agenda on either Monday or Tuesday of next week to have a discussion with uh, the folks from the town of Oak Creek and potentially invite Mo as well from our emergency management department to uh, talk about if there's something that we think we need to do sooner rather than later. So with your permission, Madam Chair, I'd like to uh, uh, get a 30 minute item on next week's agenda. Yeah, that's fine with me. I, I'm curious um, if Jay has any updates on the kind of interagency coordination conversation about um, ARPA funding and infrastructure needs. Also, we've sent out the, the email. Um, Caroline's working on that and getting responses. But as Tim mentioned last week, it's probably going to take some one on one follow up with them. So the, the outreach is there, but there's more work to be done. That sounds good. I, I'm fine with that. Commissioner Redmond, do you have any comments or just, concerns? Just a question or two, real quick, if I could. Um, it sounds like they're going after some funding at this point. Is is that the? Uh, thank you. I was yeah. Just yeah. Wondering me, what the urgency was. I, I can put some. Uh, I can put some bookends around that. So number one, the urgency is is that they uh, they need to retain an engineering firm, and they have a, a proposal, and that proposal is uh, approximately three hundred thousand dollars to develop the uh, construction documents for the repair of the dam. Uh, they need to get them started sooner rather than later. They're hoping to be able to place this engineering firm under contract late January, early February. They have, uh, set, uh, the, it's approximately a $300,000 proposal. The town has $75,000 that they have dedicated towards this. So they do have a $225,000 gap. They have been in contact with DOLA. Uh, they've also with the Upper Yampa uh, Conservancy District, uh, the Colorado River District, uh, uh, and a number of other entities that are potential partners. Uh, like anything else, they need to demonstrate uh, 
to DOLA and to the other partners that there are a number of uh, entities that would be willing to contribute to help close this $225,000 gap they have at this time. Thank you for that. That paints a much better picture for me. All right. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the last item I have, uh, and this is just my opportunity to continue my um, expressing my concerns about short-term rentals in, uh, in Route County in general, uh, and, and of course the city of Steamboat Springs, which really by and large is the one that has control over what's going on. And uh, several weeks ago, I had quoted some numbers to you guys about the increase of population and the, um, and the number of units that we have built over the last 10 years. And actually what I said was at that time was dramatic enough, but it wasn't accurate. The actual information is even more dramatic than what I told you before. Uh, so the actual more accurate numbers, and, and I, I see Dylan's online here, he alerted me to the mistake that I had made. According to the 2020 census, our population has only increased 1,320 people in the last 10 years. Uh, in that time frame, we have in fact issued building permits to create 1,527 residential units. So uh, once again, uh, I wanna to continue to highlight the fact that uh, just building new product does not necessarily help address the affordable housing situation when in fact we're building more units, way more units than what's necessary to uh, accommodate a growing population. Thank you, Madam Chair. No problem, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Redmond. Yeah, being the beginning of the year, there's, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, the one thing I, I would like to uh, let you guys know about is um, went out and had lunch with uh, DA Matt Carzan and we had a conversation about the pretrial services um, and we have formulated a plan to move forward. Um, it's pretty apparent to me that Mr. Carzan and I will be carrying the ball through this. Um, I see not only members of the court, but other elected officials really in a, we're gonna stand back and watch situation, um, which I, I don't blame them, you know, with the conversations I've had with my fellow commissioners from Moffitt and Grand County. Um, I understand their concerns and their frustrations and their wait and see attitude. Um, but I believe this is a worthwhile program. Um, it became somewhat apparent to me with my conversation with uh, Mr. Carzan that not only do we need to look at uh, tying pretrial services together, um, but there's a need to look at probably opioids involved in this um, and also um, support services and that it would be best if we could find a way really to make this a one-stop shopping 
type of situation, have everything housed and so that people can have their needs assessed and uh, direct them to the proper uh, resources. Um, the nice thing about it is there's a lot of this work that has been done. There's not really a lot of need to reinvent the wheel, but it is a matter of uh, us deciding what's going to work for our region. And to me, obviously the biggest thing and my biggest concern is releasing someone that goes out and offends on our community again. So, uh, you know, I'm looking to support, but you know, my bottom line, honestly, as a commissioner, is to protect our community. So as we move forward, um, I will be reporting back to you, looking for uh, feedback and opinions and thoughts as we move forward. Um, there is Club 20 is scheduled to meet uh, Voices of Rural Colorado. So it's Action 15, Club 22. Um, all are scheduled to meet on the 20th in Denver. Uh, I have registered for this conference. At this point in time, I've asked Jennifer to hold off on making hotel reservations. Um, as to be honest, I have some doubts as to whether or not this meeting will actually happen in person. Uh, I will let you know that I am somewhat disappointed when I called the leadership at Club 20 and asked what their backup plan is if this does not you know, go forward and might need to be virtual. Um, there are no plans at this point in time. So uh, there could be a scramble here at the end, but uh, you know, I am there and available um, and we'll move forward. Um, looking forward to getting involved in Northwest COG. They recently sent me uh, their meeting schedule for the year. I don't know if you received that, if you would like, I will, good deal. Um, so no need to forward that on to you, but look forward to, uh, getting involved in that organization and uh, seeing how we move forward within it. Um, excited. Also at the same time, I did receive an invitation um, from AG&C. Uh, they are moving forward. Uh, it's not quite SEDS, but um, something in that nature and they've invited me. Um, as they will be administrating still in our region and I do plan to attend and represent us. Um, at this point in time, I, I think that's a pretty good overview of where I'm at. Um, wildfire council meeting will happen later this week. Uh, we have had some grant money come in and now we're looking at how to, uh, you know, form an administration to uh, administer the money and, to be there and available to the public as the members of the council all have daytime jobs and are not gonna be able to answer the phones and answer the questions of HOAs and concerned citizens. But we're going to stand up an organization that will be there and support them as they move forward. And that's all I have for us at this point, Beth. All right, thank you. Um, I really don't have anything. As you know, I've been on vacation for two weeks, so I didn't do any work, which was lovely. That's my update. Um, but welcome, welcome back, Commissioner Mountain. And oh, everything. thanks. I came in and with I, a bang. You guys think, really didn't keep it together while I was gone. <laughs> but I think we saved 
I think we saved up some stuff to welcome you back. And uh, uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, how that all goes. So thanks. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Um, we wanted you to feel needed. <laughs> um, I we're the only thing I would say is that we're continuing the same work with the Peak Health Alliance and working on the um, gathering letters of interest from community organizations. We've presented to various entities and um, getting good support um, from folks. So excited to move forward with some of that work for sure. Um, Jay, did you? Um, I think maybe you'd like to introduce some of our new staff. Sure. Um, Amanda Shepard started yesterday as our PIO, um, jumped right into the fray on some of the COVID messaging. So she's getting uh, right in the middle of things. Um, Jen, could you promote her real quick? Just so uh, give a quick introduction. Um, she's listening in. I think she's just going to be a great addition to our, uh, um, to our, to our team within our office and then also county countywide to have someone working with each um, direct um, department and being that contact for the press and trying to really help us in our efforts to be uh, um, transparent. Um, Amanda, are you, allow, are you able to, uh, um, do you have a camera and a, a mic that you can turn on? Great. So just wanted to introduce you to Amanda real quick. Uh, any quick words of wisdom, Amanda? Hello, I um, did not realize I would be speaking today. So uh, <laughs> thank you for the introduction. I am looking forward to working with everybody here and I have had a great welcome from Route County. So um, thank you for having me aboard. Great, thanks, Amanda. Um, we also have one other new employee, she had um, zoomed in earlier. She actually starts tomorrow and she's going to be the new admin assistant in our office, which is um, Samantha Pierce. Um, we're really excited about having her come on board and that'll kind of finish out our staffing needs within our office. She's going to be a great addition, a very impressive young woman. Um, so we're, we're happy with, uh, with the opportunities we've had to bring on some new employees and we'll just be in a holding pattern and other hirings in our office until probably mid-year when we get a better sense and I get a better sense on what to do with the, the, both the need and the duties of a deputy manager. So that, that evaluation is ongoing. Well, welcome to both of those ladies. And um, thanks, Jay. I'm glad you've been able to fill some of those critical positions. I know, especially now in the challenges that everyone's having with hiring. So I think um, we're fortunate to have such talented folks come on board. I stopped by the former coroner's office, now Amanda and Carolyn's office yesterday and said hello to them. It, um, I think that space will work out great. And um, they seemed to be doing all right. Although a little heebie-jeebies about maybe if there were ghosts, but I think they were, <laughs> they were hanging in there. I, I did verify that there had been no body storage on site, that it was just a, a working office. Yes. There is a map sitting in the office, though, that has like push pins yes. at various places. And the working, um, the working uh, theory is that those are indications of dead bodies. And we're really hoping that that's not the case. They want to get um, rid of the map, though. Yeah, just to, it was important to note that he did not move that map into his new office. So it, it must not be <laughs> 
Well, I'm, uh, I'm really glad to hear we've got these positions filled. Uh, you know, uh, when the pandemic started, that was when we first, I think, really understood the need for a full-time public information officer. I can tell you that <laughs> prior to that time, I was uh, pretty skeptical about that need. I remember uh, Commissioner Monger saying, you know, what do we need to hire someone like that for? We should, uh, we should be doing our own communicating, but uh, it's become obvious that uh, not, even without the pandemic, that the need for us to communicate clearly and transparently to the public and to our staff is really important. And I'm really thrilled that we've now got someone that's a full-time employee of the county uh, uh, overseeing that really important work that we need to do. And Amanda, I think you'll have a, a really good opportunity to get your feet wet in uh, public communication this afternoon. So. <laughs> <laughs> um anything else from anyone all right well then we will go ahead and recess until 2 p.m um we'll be back here virtually to meet um for our board of health meeting thank you all see you then all right i think um, we will go ahead and get started. Um, we are, uh, I want to thank Commissioner Corrigan for stepping down as chair and giving me the opportunity to leave <laughs> this meeting. Um, so we're here to consider public health order 2022-01 regarding face coverings in indoor public spaces. So um, first, I'm going to ask Eric, our attorney, to present the public health order as written. Um, we'll have public health staff um, share their comments, questions from the commissioners, and then we'll take uh, comments from the public before we come back to the commissioners for discussion and possible action. So um, I'll just go ahead and start with Eric. Can you see my screen? Yes, sir. All right, I'm gonna to introduce to you Standing Public Health Order 2022-01 concerning mandatory face coverings uh, in Route County. We are of course convening as the Route County Board of Health um, during this action item and meeting. Um, recall that on December 31st, last Friday, there was a Board of Health meeting concerning uh, several topics, including the rising case counts, uh, mitigation protocols, uh, what business, what businesses can or uh, should maybe be doing to protect their employees and themselves, the owners, and the, as well as the public. Uh, we heard from the public health department concerning uh, those, those rising case numbers and other concerns uh, regarding the Omicron by, uh, variant for COVID-19. Anyway, that led me to draft this uh, version of a mandatory public health order for face coverings. Um, I will breeze through this. It's pretty short and sweet, I hope, um, but it's for, here for your consideration only today. The recital section uh, establishes the desires of the board and the uh, board of health and the need for such an order, perhaps, if still recommended by our public health uh, officials. 
And I cite here the meeting from last Friday, specifically in uh, recital I. Uh, then it go, gets into the meat of the order. Again, it's very, very simple. We are, uh, I am proposing to incorporate state orders. Uh, we've done that in the past with, uh, with public health orders, just so that there's no question that uh, state orders are enforceable locally. <clears throat> and then number four, um, this section here is what's been what was posted for this meeting. I did add this section A just prior to this meeting based on some comments from our medical officer. So essentially this requires those two years or older to cover their um, nose and mouth with a proper face covering when, indoor, when in indoor public spaces. Um, the exceptions include if you go into a restaurant and obviously you need to remove your face covering to eat or drink, or, um, that would be allowed. Uh, dentistry or personal care uh, would be allowed. But, but the idea here based on this following sentence is that if you're not actively engaged in uh, the need to remove the face mask, then you should be covering your face uh, again. Not your whole face, but just your nose and mouth, obviously. <laughs> just trying to get a smile out of you, Beth. I know this is your first uh, <laughs> rehash as chair. So, um, and I do did provide an example here uh, that that's the restaurant example. I did include this statement here, which we did not do previously. Individuals who cannot medically tolerate a face mask covering are exempt. The obvious problem with that is that 99% uh, of us will probably develop some um, medical condition that prevents us from wearing a face covering. But that aside, I, I do believe individuals are personally responsible and can um, monitor themselves. And if they truly don't, don't have, or truly do have a condition that prohibit them from wearing a face mask safely, then they would not be required to do that. Obviously this is subject to edit based on your comments today. And then I just added in the definition of what's considered a proper face covering. It includes medical uh, grade face coverings or those that meet the four standards from the CDC guidelines, two layers, completely cover the nose and mouth, fit snugly, and have a nose wire to prevent um, air from escaping. The remainder of the order should look pretty similar, um, if not exactly the same as the previous public health orders that were entered by this board. And then we would need to talk about effective dates and um, termination dates. That's my short and sweet introduction to this uh, proposed public health order. Thank you, Eric. Um, commissioners, any questions for Eric? Yeah, Eric, uh, could you remind me when our last public health order uh, expired? No. <laughs> last year. I don't, it, I, I could look it up fairly quickly um, if you want the answer. To just, that. I, it, it's safe to say it's been at least six months or so since we've had a standing public work, health order. Yes, with the caveat that, that my sense of time has changed since uh, 2020. Thank you. Any other questions, Commissioner Redmond? Sorry, I can't see everyone's face. Oh, no, um, this, you know, 
I guess we've been down this road before. So I, I am familiar with this and know what I'm looking at. So no questions for me. I'm, I'm sorry, Beth, I had one other clarifying question. Yes, sir. This public, public health order as uh, presented, does it include any capacity restrictions? It, it does not. Thank you. All right, if there are no further questions for Eric, I will turn it over to um, Roberta Smith to make statements on behalf of public health. Thanks. Thanks, Commissioner Melton. Um, and I really appreciated the working group that we had last Friday, um, even though it was um, on holiday time, um, just the efforts that Mo and the emergency management team have pulled together in a matter of days. Um, we've had some testing um, increase in our county and just um, that has been so helpful to public health to have that team working with us as we organize for testing later in this week. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge that um, as we get started here that, um, you know, that aspect of public health and providing um, testing um, is still an important piece as we are still within this, this pandemic. Um, as we mentioned on Friday, and as you saw with the data, we have seen um, the effects of this new Omicron variant hitting our community, and we have had um, a substantial increase in cases that we have seen kind of um, this um, in this past week um, throughout the holidays, very similar to what other mountain communities in Colorado has been experiencing. Our message, and this remains the message of CDC, is vaccinations and encouraging people um, to be vaccinated to get those boosters. We are seeing that um, people that are infected with uh, COVID-19 and this Omicron variant um, fare much better. Um, if you have the booster, if you are vaccinated, then um, unvaccinated community members. Along with that recommendation is the CDC recommendation for mask use and wearing masks in indoor places, making sure those masks are well fitting. Um, we are seeing, you know, this um, variants being more transmissible and having people do their part um, by wearing masks in indoor situations, limiting interactions and big, large group gatherings, all of the um, mitigation strategies that we have seen are going to help us. It is similar to a very big wave that is hitting us right now um, of cases. So again, kind of bring that awareness to what we can do to protect others that in our community that are vulnerable and protecting ourselves and taking that responsibility. Um, vaccinations are widely available um, in our county. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, so with all of those recommendations, we also have the continued CDPHE guidance for our schools 
to be wearing masks in schools. Um, that continues um, with CDPHE. That guidance has not changed. So public health continues to follow that guidance and to encourage that um, within our school districts. We're also very concerned, as we mentioned on Friday, with the protection of employees and um, what some small, smaller employers might be facing with staffing shortages and understanding that it is very important to protect the safety and health of workers. Um, this is promulgated um, through OSHA requirements for those businesses that are over um, 10 employees that you create a safe working place and mask use in businesses is a part of that protection and a part of um, that recommendation um, to keeping staff safe in those environments. Dr. Harrington, I don't know if you have other um, statements you wanna share. Um, I can also lend some perspective as well as to where we're going. Um, I guess just yet to, to highlight that we and frankly the U.S. has seen record numbers of cases locally and nationally. Um, as, as Roberta touched on, we have always recommended mask wearing as an important tool in trying to reduce the spread of, of this. That's an existing recommendation by the CDC for indoors, CDPHE, um, our hospital systems, many um, you know, healthcare entities um, suggest that. Um, masks work. Um, I think that that's accepted by rational medical thought. Um, we know mechanistically and by some population health studies that they can be effective, but that's contingent a lot of things. Uh, masks must be a proper mask. They must be worn properly and they must be worn uh, to be effective. Um, we also know that enforcement of mask wearing is a challenge. Um, I can tell you that um, in our hospital currently here in, in the past couple of weeks, um, we've only had a couple of people admitted for COVID-19. So we have not seen a local surge in cases per se, but we almost understand that we often don't see those admissions till a good couple of weeks out from any um, spike in cases. Um, neither has the hospital system in the state um, been breached yet. Um, we um, do have some extra capacity at the state level right now. Although, as we commented last week, the state modeling, um, the different state models, uh, majority of them do um, put us at a place in, in the near weeks when we could breach or we would breach the um, capacity, but that's not proving that. Um, on, on the other hand, I acknowledge that um, this Omicron wave, because it is so contagious and is involving multiple factors of transmission, it's gonna go on regardless of what we do. And I don't necessarily mean that as a pessimistic statement, I just mean that as a statement of fact. Um, and that's what we're seeing. We have seen in the ski counties um, like Pitkin, Eagle, us and others, that we are leading the state. In fact, we are relative hot spots in the nation right now. And I'm sure that's related to the holiday travel and all the visitors. But I think at the same time, we also acknowledge that um, other counties like Pitkin and Eagle County who have had existing mask uh, requirements have higher case rates than we do. Uh, there's just a lot involved in how to control um, this virus. Um, I remind everybody of our goals throughout this pandemic have been reduce suffering and severe illness, reduce death, buy time to get a vaccine um, available for all, if not most people, um, 
and not to overwhelm our healthcare system. And those remain considerations for us as we decide um, efforts by public health to try to uh, prevent spread of it. Um, I, I would maybe add with one last comment, you know, I know there's a lot of emotions and um, all about mask wearing. Um, I would say that masks do not make schools close. Masks do not shut down businesses. <laughs> COVID does that. COVID-19 is an infection. People get sick. If our schools don't have teachers, they won't be able to have in-person classes. If our businesses don't have workers because they're sick, they'll have to shut their doors. Um, I think sometimes people um, ignore that fact that um, masks don't shut things down, the infection does. Um, so, um, and, and masks are quite frankly, considered all the other things we could do in terms of shutting down businesses, restricting movement of people and all that is one of the more benign things um, out there. It's just, we have this dilemma of, is it worth um, the mandating? How much do we gain by mandating their use? And um, how can we impact things with a virus that, yes, just uh, repeating what the CDC has told us, we do believe this will be a um, relatively brief wave compared to what we've seen before. In other words, we are expecting nationally to be over the hump this by the end of the month. And yes, we are now accumulating data that suggests that the Omicron variant does not cause as serious disease um, in the majority of people as other variants have. I do add the caveat though, that because it's so contagious and because some of its characteristics, we are seeing larger numbers of young children and that's documented nationally um, by data. And I can um, acknowledge that anecdotally. Um, it does seem to be affecting younger children a little bit more in terms of upper airway disease. And of course, they're the ones that are not yet um, available for vaccination. So um, that's part of my summary of kind of the um, different sides of this matter. Thank you, Dr. Harrington. And, you know, I think we've been through a lot with this pandemic and certainly, you know, we have discussed where we are now versus where we were in 2020 without a lot of information that we had at hand and not as many tools as we have today to deal with um, the spread of this virus. So hopefully this is part of our exit ramp in some ways um, to living with this virus. We've talked about that in some of our other public health updates and really understanding that um, this is another strain of coronavirus that's going to be with us how it we see it seasonality wise, um, you know, is to be seen, but definitely um, the our North Star has um, is not zero cases. I think our North Star in guiding us with all of these decisions too is looking at our healthcare system and um, the the burden that is there um, locally and statewide. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just jump in and add to that. Um, at least the UC Health System, I'm sure it's true, the other systems are seeing a dramatic, are starting to see a dramatic rise in admissions. Um, and this is compounded by a lot of their staff being sick now um, with COVID and having to step out. Um, so they're implementing crisis standards of care in some places. Um, it's possible that this is, you know, the, the advent of another um, challenge to our state hospital system. And uh, as I noted, we often don't see that for a few weeks after the beginning of a rise in cases. Roberta, is there, are, did you have anything else from public health? 
No, I, I think I think that's that's it. We we showed the data last week, and it's available on our website. Okay, thank you very much, commissioners. Do you have any questions for public health? Yeah, I've got a couple quick ones. Um, uh, I've been a little bit confused, Roberta, about the regimen for what people should do after they have tested positive. How long? they should uh, remain in quarantine or self-isolation, how long after they test positive before they can go back to work, for instance? Yeah, and the, that is a little bit confusing because those did change last week. Um, and we um, have, what we have from CDC right now is a memo um, that was released from CDC. CDPHE has put a little bit more context around that memo, but for anyone that tests positive for COVID-19, we want you to isolate. And those isolation guidelines are staying home for five days. After that five day period, if you don't have symptoms, if your symptoms are revolve, uh, resolving, and if you've been fever free for 24 hours on that day six, then you can leave your house. But the recommendation and the guidance from CDC clearly states that you should continue to wear a mask around others for five additional days. And that's part of source control and making sure that, you know, if you're presenting and maybe shedding virus longer um, and you're asymptomatic, um, that source control by wearing a mask for those additional five days is the precaution that we're asking everyone to take. And it's the recommendation of CDC and CDPHE. So the, my follow-up question would be uh, understanding that we do in fact have a large number of, of folks, both in the private sector and in the healthcare system that are out of work at this time because they have tested positive. Um, is it fair to assume that a large number of those people will be uh, able to return to work in the relatively near future? Yes, and like I said, these these guidelines did change. I think it was last week, it's all <laughs> blurry, but um, previous to that, it was 10 days. So um, that isolation time was essentially cut in half. Now that doesn't change um, the nature of the virus. It's just the um, infectious period tends to be in those first couple of days um, when you are first showing symptoms. But again, the recommendation, if you're still having those symptoms, if you still have a fever, just because five days has passed doesn't you know, get you out of that isolation. Um, we really want individuals to um, continue to stay home until that fever resolves and until those symptoms are improving. But essentially, yes, um, this could get workers and individuals out um, of isolation sooner than um, previously um, as part of the guidelines. Could I add just a tiny bit of clarification to what you said, Roberta? The 10-day um, infectious period is still the same, but the peak infectious period is those first five days. That doesn't mean that someone is no longer infectious on day six, for example. And that's why this masking guideline is so important as well. 
and the um, symptoms part of it as well. And then, thank you for that. And then uh, just uh, uh, one other question. And I think this is for Dr. Harrington. And Dr. Harrington, I recall at a meeting uh, not that long ago that uh, uh, someone asked you about the risk of vaccinations. And I recall you quoting some numbers about the number of vaccinations in Route County and who may have uh, become sick as a result of getting vaccinated. Um, and I did reconfirm that um, kind of data this morning in case we talked about it. Uh, according to the hospital locally, we have had 78 admissions with a primary diagnosis of COVID-19, 68 of those um, were unvaccinated. We have not intubated anybody who is vaccinated. We have not shipped anybody out, transferred to a higher level of care of anybody who's vaccinated, and nobody has died who's been vaccinated. The seriousness of this disease is heavily focused on the unvaccinated. And again, meanwhile, we've not admitted anybody with a complication from a vaccine. Um, the, the concerns about the vaccine, and I don't want to discount every concern, but clearly there's um, a lot of um, unfounded and over-created concerns about it. The vaccines are one of the reasons we can go through a wave like we're going through right now and not be overwhelmed with um, dying and seriously ill people in our hospitals. It is because of our vaccinations that we can sit here in maybe less of a degree of panic because um, we're, we're gonna have most of our population gonna be protected from serious illness. We, we are thankful of the vaccines that allow us to get through what is now yet our you know, next wave of COVID. And this, and the vaccines are part of what is the plan going forward where we figure out how to carry on um, in a world where COVID-19 exists. It's not going away. Thank you. That's all I have, Madam Chair. Thank you. Commissioner Redmond, any questions? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm just curious as to the availability for the public for the antigen test. I've had some people uh, approach me saying they've had trouble locating the test. Is there anything we can tell the public about access to the home tests? Thanks, Commissioner Redmond. And we are, um, I think the nation is experiencing a shortage in the home tests. I know that CDPG uh, was backlogged. They have a whole waiting list of people that have submitted their names to have those home lists, um, those home tests, excuse me, delivered to them. So um, we are experiencing a shortage of the home at home antigen tests. Um, we have increased our PCR testing. Um, we have PCR testing now that's going to be um, hosted by CDPHE this Thursday. We continue to have MAKO um, in our community doing testing on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and also um, many, many um, Healthcare providers are also able to do testing. So if you do have concerns, reaching out to your healthcare provider is always a good thing to do as well. You know, and to follow that up, I've had a couple people that have spoke to me about um, taking that home test, getting a positive result, and then wanting to go get a PCR. Is, is that redundant? Is that something they should be doing? You know, that home antigen, is that going to be just fine for them? 
Right, and and thank you for that question. Um, with with the home tests, if it's positive, we treat it as a positive, and we want you to isolate, um, just as we mentioned in terms of the isolation guidelines from CDC and CDPHE. Getting a PCR backup um, is not needed uh, to confirm that. The one situation where we do want you to get a PCR after taking a home test would be if you're symptomatic and you take a home test and it's negative, we would want you to go get a PCR, but we would like you to get that PCR um, in a location where we are doing PCR testing. We have had some reports of individuals going to our emergency department here in Steamboat um, to get a PCR test. And that's all they're seeking. They're not in an emergent state. So we really want people that are seeking testing when it, and it's not an emergency um, health-wise for you to go to the scheduled testing locations for that test. Dr. Harrington, did you some, have something to add? Yeah, and I'm sorry to jump back here, but I, okay. I misspoke on a number. I need to make sure to give out the right number. According to the hospital, in 2021, we had 74 admissions for COVID-19, and 64 of those were unvaccinated. I gave the wrong number, and that was at our local hospital here. Thank you. Thanks for clarifying. Uh, Commissioner Redmond, did you have other questions? You know, just um, kind of seeking some information. Um, you know, we're in a situation where we can project protect the majority of the population, but we've got that zero to five-year-old range. Um, what would be your advice to parents that find themselves in that situation? Yeah, and this is, you know, a situation with some other vaccines. So we look at like influenza vaccines are only available for children six months of age and older. And, you know, there are some vulnerabilities uh, with other diseases that we can look to. And I almost, you know, when we, um, did a couple pertussis vaccination campaigns. We almost called it um, cocooning. Um, and this is where everyone that is around that vulnerable population or that person um, is vaccinated because they can't get vaccinated. And then you, your choices that you do are kind of heightened and revolve around making sure you're making correct decisions as not to bring back illness to that vulnerable member. And also, you know, bringing that vulnerable member um, out into public, making sure, you know, probably, I, I, I hope people aren't bringing young children to loud counts, concerts at all, but, um, you know, any, large gathering indoor spaces, it's probably not the situation that you want to bring someone um, who is vulnerable to, to potentially being ex uh, exposing them. Now, if you know the vaccination status of people and there's uh, other mitigation measures, you can weigh um, that risk certainly. But again, making those decisions um, with your own families within that circle of protection to make sure that that vulnerable um, household member or that vulnerable member of your family um, is protected has always been a public health 
strategy. Thank you. I am good. Thank you, Commissioner. Yeah, thank you. Um, just one uh, clarifying question. Um, we know that we're dealing primarily at this point with the Omicron variant of COVID, um, and we're seeing that um, folks who are vaccinated are, are being infected at much higher rates than with previous variants. Um, can you clarify, um, is there still a benefit with the Omicron variant of being vaccinated or are, is it all the same? Yes, the data that they've released uh, shows, uh, I think, pretty clearly how if you just had two doses of one of the mRNA vaccines, your protection from symptomatic disease may only be about 30 some percent, say about one out of three. Whereas if you get the third dose um, as an adult with one of the messenger RNA vaccines, that protection jumps up to maybe 74, 75 percent. So there is there is definitely a benefit um, to protection from Omicron. And meanwhile, even if you've not had all three doses, you still have evidence that there is good, strong protection from severe disease and death. It wanes over time, but you still have a benefit from it. Thank you. Um, so I don't think I have any other questions. Um, I'll just um, see one more time if, if the commissioners have questions before we move on. I'm not a commissioner, but I, I, I can answer uh, Commissioner Corrigan's question from earlier. The resolution rescinding all past public health orders was uh, was signed May 18th of 2021. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. All right. Um, so we are going to open this agenda item for public comment. And I have just a few um, things I'd like to say before we begin. Um, so I want to, of course, thank all the members of the public who are here joining us and um, public comment today will be regarding the item that is on the table for consideration, which is the adoption of public health order 2022-01 mandating face coverings in indoor public spaces. Um, only public comment on this item will be heard at this time. If you wish to comment on other items related to public health or COVID-19 generally, or any other item, you are invited to share those comments during general public comment time, which is held weekly at 9.35 um, on Tuesdays. Um, the commissioners have received and considered many, many written comments, both supporting and opposing this public health order. And if you've already commented in writing, I would ask that you please recognize that your comments have been received and considered and do not need to be repeated during this public comment period. Um, I am anticipating that there will be, there may be a significant number of people who wish to comment today. So to respect everyone's time, um, I have, um, the board here has agreed to the following requirements for public comment. Um, each comment will be limited to no more than two minutes and each individual will only have one opportunity to speak. We will limit the total public comment time to 30 minutes unless a majority of this board votes to extend that public comment period. In order to ensure enough time for everyone, anyone that is wishing to make public comment will need to indicate their interest by raising their hand at the beginning of the public comment period. 
Um, we'll ask that all comments are directed to the board and not to the staff or to other commenters. Um, and your comment should be regarding your support or opposition for the public health order that is currently under consideration. Um, the board and staff will consider the comments made, but we will not answer questions or engage in any dialogue with commenters. Um, so at this time, if you wish to make public comment, please raise your hand. You can do so by pushing the raised hand button in Zoom or dialing star nine on your phone. When it is your turn, um, you will be given the ability to unmute yourself and turn on your video. Please state your full name. And it would be helpful if you would open your comment by indicating whether you are speaking in support or opposition to the public health order that is under consideration. Um, so again, please raise your hand at this time so that I know how many people wish to speak. If you do not raise your hand now, I cannot guarantee that we will be able to give you time to speak. So I will um, take just a moment here to give folks a, an opportunity to raise their hand. All right, thank you very much. Um, so first um, we have David Alrod, go ahead and un, uh, we'll promote you and you can unmute yourself and turn on your video if you wish. Please state your name and your position. Uh, good afternoon, my name is David Elrod. I am in general, uh, in general I support this public health order. I do have a few questions or concerns I'd like to address. Um, I'd like to see more detail and more information included about lodging, possibly capacity limits if that's deemed necessary that might need an assessment in 15 days, 30 days, something of that sort. I'd also like to see something specific about the ski areas, the gondola, lift lines, etc. Uh, and finally, I'd like to see some details about enforcement so it doesn't fall on the workers in bars and restaurants and lodging and grocery, etc. to uh, make sure that this happens. The question that I have is when I look at the metrics that the county keeps on the shiny apps IO space, I see that high risk is more or less defined as more than a thousand cases per 100,000, which we have been well over since late last week. The positivity rate greater than 10%, which we've been well over for more than a week. And by the way, local and or regional hospitals at 85% or greater capacity. I just looked on the state's website, both ICU beds and acute care beds are over 90%. So my question is, what does high risk mean? What do we do? It's just this sort of definition that's out there and doesn't describe or pertain to any specific actions. Um, I think overall that this health order is a move in the right direction and I appreciate you all giving it the time that it deserves, but we need to see further action, very much so. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Elrod. Um, next, I see um, someone who is listed as Route County Democrats. So if you could unmute yourself and um, give us your name and um, your comments, thank you. Hi, this is Ann Barunos. I'm sorry, I came in as Route County Democrats. So I must have been signed in earlier. I'm a Steamboat resident. My full-time residence is on Bear Drive near the mountain. I am in support of a public mask mandate. 
And I would like to address one of the objections to a mask mandate that I've been hearing, namely that it'll just be ignored and therefore will be useless. And I'd like to point out that when laws or mandates are promulgated, while there are always people who will flout them, most people will actually follow the rule. I think the national speed limit is a great example of this. And while we certainly hope that most people would adhere to a mask mandate, even if not every single person does, it certainly will encourage more people to do so. And the more people who do mask up, the better we can stop the transmission of the virus. And on a personal note, I tested positive yesterday for COVID, despite being incredibly careful for two years and being fully vaccinated and boosted. So I'm currently isolating at home with minimal symptoms. And even before I tested positive, I had been limiting contact and double masking in public since Christmas time when we learned that Route County cases were on the rise. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Baronis. I appreciate your comments. Um, next, I see Alex Callback. Hi, excuse me. Um, currently quarantining at home also. Uh, my name is Alex Caldock. I'm the Director of Hospitality uh, for Western Centers, which includes Snowball. Um, Snowball, I, uh, I want to say that I'm, uh, I am in support of this measure, um, and please consider doing uh, so in uh, reinstalling the mask mandate, um, and thank you for doing so. Um, we did opt to close last week um, before our New Year's Eve party. Um, we felt that we could not safely throw a party, um, even maintaining distancing, uh, masking, whatnot, with all of the current conditions and so much information, misinformation, people's personal feelings and whatnot. Um, additionally, um, we just didn't feel that we could protect people um, or that we could police people to do so properly in our establishment um, to keep them safe. Um, we concur in our own um, little world as to the contagiousness of this. A majority of my staff is currently um, uh, quarantining, um, like I said, including myself. Um, despite all of the measures that we took, including closing early um, to try to protect the general public. Um, so I wanted to say, um, again, like this is this has really impacted us, but we do believe um, in doing so with the mask mandate that this will help us to maintain um, our business and keep our business open um, and get it open again by this Friday. So thanks. That's all I've got to say. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Callback. Um, next, I see Sean Conway. Hi, everyone. Uh, Sean Conway, restaurant operator here in town. Um, thank you for the attention given to this uh, latest outbreak. Uh, my concern at our restaurant levels um, is obviously mimicking or mirroring what people said with enforcement, with uh, mixed messaging. Um, we went through a variety of protocols. Um, everything seems to now rely on, I guess, a six cent mask that we're gonna ask people to wear now. We did six foot distancing, we did tracing, we did margin, you know, capacity limits, we did everything imaginable, vaccinating or vaccines and down the list, all to get to the highest cases that we have now with the lowest ratio to hospitalizations and severe symptoms. And now we're, we're kind of giving the ceremonial mask gesture to try and get everybody to fall back in line or feel that this is what's going to prevent everything. I just don't know if this is 
the action or the message. I support, excuse me, uh, Commissioner, you mentioned to say I am in support of corrective and protective measures. I just don't know. I don't support that the mask is going to going to make the difference. We've seen reports that single layer cotton masks that a lot of people wear in town aren't effective. The N95s aren't readily available. They're cost restrictive to large quantities or businesses or families and, and all the different nuances that go on into all of these uh, all of these masks. And then on top of it, the pushback that you get from obviously being in a in a transient tourist driven town where people have different measures in different places and that we're going back to this. I just don't know what this is going to do. And then by the time we get it implemented, say maybe next week or at the end of this week or early next week, and then we're halfway through January to where we think that it's going to peak and then die off. I just don't know where all the matrix lie to get us to a paper mask when we have, we've been through everything that we have up until this point. Um, we always appreciate the support. Uh, the messaging is just a little difficult at, uh, at our level, if you don't mind. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your comments, Mr. Conway. Um, next, I see Amy Pedersen. Um, Miss, if that I'm not sure if that's Amy Pedersen there, but um, we're not hearing you. If you could go ahead. I'm sorry, we're still not hearing you. I'm not. I'm not sure um, what could be happening. If you don't mind, I'm going to um, go ahead to the next person, and I would be happy to put you back in line here. Um, if you want to either try to use your phone or maybe disconnect and, and reconnect. Um, let's go ahead to uh, Carrie. Carrie, um, we have you, you can go ahead and unmute yourself and speak if you wish. Jen, is there any, I'm not sure if there's anything we can do to unmute Carrie. I have asked Carrie to unmute, but have not gotten any. Okay, we'll go ahead and put Carrie back in the queue as well and move on to Nancy Spillane. Hi, thank you for uh, taking my comment. And for, uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you to all of you for having this meeting and a public comment. I know that during the pandemic, you all have been in very thankless positions, um, but I think you should know that the chatter in the county is very favorable to this group of people who are working on behalf of all of us. And today I just want to mention um, three different conversations I've had with small business owners in downtown Steamboat who have asked customers to please wear a mask when entering their stores and people have stormed out saying you have no right and they have lost uh, potential sales. So I think that I should have stated at the beginning, I am in favor of the mask mandate and 
I think it will support small business owners in keeping their workers and themselves safe, as well as helping to just try to mitigate this in some kind of way. And I only have, uh, I have one question that I would like you to consider. Would, are the, is the gondola considered indoor space and would masks be required on the gondola? And that's it. And again, thank you for your good work. We all really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Ms. Spillane. Um, next, I have Joe DeFeo. Mr. DeFeo, you can um, go ahead and unmute yourself and give us your comments. Hi, thanks for taking my comments. I'm against the mask mandate, mostly for psychological reasons. I'm a senior executive for a pharmaceutical company that focuses on mental health issues and addiction. I think it's irresponsible for public health to only focus on COVID um, and not the long-term mental health aspects that happen. We now see that oh, drug overdoses are the leading cause of death of, of people under 45. And we're, we're ignoring that these mental health issues, right now, drug overdoses, I was lo just looking at data yesterday because we have a drug in the pipeline that is a higher dose Narcan. And drug overdoses are up over 30%. And we know it's from the effects to the economy from COVID. You're ignoring the fact of all the other mental health issues that are going to be with us for a long time. We know we keep focusing on vaccinated versus unvaccinated. You just said that most, the vast majority of people are vaccinated. And from the data that Dr. Harrington shared, so we've had last year about a dozen people vaccinated. I think that's what you said went to the hospital. What's not focused on is when you talk, you're segregating from unvaccinated versus vaccinated. You're not segregating about the health issues. Yesterday, the CDC admitted that over 60% of children who've gone to the hospital in the country are, were severely over obese. We know that this disease affects people over 80 and people with severe health issues. Most polls have shown people who care about COVID believe that if they get COVID, they have a 50% chance of going to the hospital when the reality is it's less than a 5%. This is all, you already admitted the masks aren't helping in the other ski towns. And this is all psychological. You're making people, you're scaring people to death about COVID when the vast majority of people, we were used to be, I don't know if we still are, before COVID, we were the fourth health healthiest county in the country. And all through that time, not a lot of people were going to the hospital. Most of the people who died were over 80. Mr. Cabello, if you could wrap up your comments, please. Thank you. I'm, for mental health issues, which are not being focused on, you're not focusing on the other side of the coin. You're only fo focusing on COVID. You're not focusing on the other side of the coin and all the mental health issues. I don't believe in the mask mandate. Thank you very much for letting me comment. Thank you, Mr. DeFeo. Appreciate your time today. Um, next up, I see Joanne. Hello. 
Can you hear me? We can, go okay, ahead. Okay, good, thank you. I wasn't sure if I was unmuting. Yes, hi, I'm a, a full-time resident here in Steamboat Springs and I support your mask mandate. In fact, I welcome it. Um, I also am suffering because I recently uh, was found to have COVID even though I'm triple vaxxed and I wear masks everywhere. So, uh, but many, many, many people do not wear masks. So I welcome that you would add this as a requirement to indoors, uh, not just on the mountain. Of course, I want it on the mountain and especially on the gondola, but we must go to the grocery store. We must go to the pharmacies. So it's very, very important for us that live here that the, the visitors understand that we need to have a mask mandate. Uh, enforcement is tough. Even when they put it into effect uh, last week or the last 10 days at the mountain, very, very few people, mostly visitors, were wearing masks. So I just wanna let you know, I'll be quick. I support it and thank you for your work. Um, thanks, Joanne. I didn't get your last name, so apologies for using your first name, but I appreciate your time today. Um, next, I see um, Chris Voivodic. You can let me know if I butchered your last name or not. No, you did great. Thanks. Uh, go ahead and share your comments with us. Um, well, thanks for all the effort you guys are putting into this, for starters. Um, I am not I oppose the mask mandate. Um, both Dr. Harrington said that the ski counties that have had mask mandates have had higher numbers than we have. Uh, my belief is that this thing is gonna do what it's gonna do. Um, I feel like you guys should be putting it out there more like for the employees, employees that are sitting in, in long, long durations of time around people should be wearing 95s, not regular masks. There's plenty of studies that show that the 95s work. People that are concerned about this should wear 95s. There are enough 95s around that the people that are very concerned, the people that are very susceptible should be wearing those. I don't believe we should make everyone decide to wear a mask. Um, the uh, Oh, shoot. Um, you've already had a couple of people called in, said they were fully vaccinated. We're double masking. This, this disease is gonna do what it does. I believe we should work together and take care of each other, but that doesn't necessarily involve us all wearing masks. I think the people that are concerned and I think employer, employers should tell their staff that the, that the ones that are worried should wear 95s because they truly work. These other masks we're finding don't work. There's plenty of science to support that for long duration time with not without good draft in a crowded setting that surgical masks don't work. It's the 95s that work. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much for sharing your comments today. Um, next, I see Gary Burkholder. Can you hear me now? We can. Okay. Uh, one thing, last night I heard that the 
Secretary of State Lloyd Austin, who not only wears a mask, but he wears a face shield, has come and he's been fully vaccinated, comes down with COVID. That's one thing. Another two, Dr. Fauci, which everybody seemed to be listening to, stated that the statistics are wrong for young people because they uh, list people, young people in the hospital with COVID, and they may have be in the hospital for a broken leg. They're not in the hospital because they got COVID. They came to the hospital with a broken leg. Therefore, they tested them and they found out they had COVID. So the statistics are wrong. Also, you want to put in place a rule or law saying you have to wear a N95 mask. I don't know how you're going to enforce everybody wearing an N95 mask. Number two, you want them securely fitted to the face. Nobody with a full beard can have a mask securely fitted to their face. If they're gonna wear a full beard, they might as well wear a single layer cloth mask. And this, it doesn't matter if you're a county commissioner or not, <clears throat> a full beard is not gonna let you have a tight seal around your face. I'd like to see how you're gonna make all the people with full beards shave just so they can be secure. So that's about, I think, if you're really, really concerned about the health of the people, you would look at the one st glaring statistic that shows the three counties with the ski areas have all this major outbreak of the COVID. You would shut down the ski areas, but you're not going to do that. But so you want to put this Band-Aid on, say, everybody wear masks. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Burkholder. I appreciate your comments today. Um, next, I have a phone number in ending in 8837. So we can go ahead and promote that person. And just a reminder that it's star six on your phone to unmute. Hello, my name is Brian Sullivan. I'm a Steamboat Springs resident. Uh, also a medical doctor, I'm against the mask mandate. Uh, Strictly because it's just not effective. Um, contagiousness of this new variant is too much for kind of masks that people wear around and how they wear them. And unless you're gonna put everyone in N95s and fit test them, it's nothing more than a facial covering mandate. It's good PR. Uh, if you really wanna control the spread of this new variant, essentially you have to shut down a lot of things, which you're not going as previous caller noted. Previous callers have also noted how they've gotten COVID despite taking excessive precautions. So point is, I think this is just a bunch of good PR, uh, but it's not gonna be effective. And that's all I really have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sullivan. Appreciate your comments. Um, I, next, I see Adam Popel. Good afternoon, and thank you for uh, taking the time to hear our comments. My name is Adam Popel. I live in Oak Creek. I work in Steamboat. I am in support of this mandate uh, as it pertains to uh, anyone in public. I work in healthcare, uh, and right now, 
we're pretty much overwhelmed because the number of folks coming into our clinics asking for COVID tests has gotten to the point where we cannot keep up. The machines running COVID tests are at their max in our clinic. And so from that standpoint, anything we can do to stem the flow of this is a positive. Anything we can do to stem the flow of, of a, a, a burnout machine that this is. Our staff is burning out because every day all they do is walk out, swab noses, come back in, talk to someone, get coughed on, try and clean themselves off. Anything we can do to stem the flow of this is something that we need to do. So I thank you for your time. I'm in support of this. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Popel. Um, appreciate your comments today. Next, we have Rachel Jacobson. Hi guys, thank you so much for uh, letting us speak. I just, I'm not going to be redundant with a lot of things that have been said, um, but it is important to listen to um, our public health officials. And it's been very, oh, it's been very evident, I guess, that masks really have not helped to stop this spike. Um, and honestly, it does have to go through. It's a mild variant. It is uh, not going to become more deadly because it doesn't want to kill off its host. Um, and putting masks in place, I mean, somebody's mentioned a couple walking into a business not wanting to put a mask on. That is that business's choice. This really is not for the public health or for the commissioners to decide what businesses do. This really has to do with the public doing what they see fit. And it doesn't seem to be helping whether you're triple vaxxed, double masked, whatever, you're gonna get it, you're gonna get it, and we're gonna move on. Our hospital is not overwhelmed, and I do not believe that masks are going to stem the flow of this spread of this virus. Unfortunately, it is still going through masks, and as people have mentioned, unless you are truly medically fit with an N95, this is nothing more than a show. And if we are concerned about businesses and keeping their business in such a hard time for the, for the community, we need to keep these businesses open and we need to allow these businesses to know that they can choose what they wanna do. Um, and I just really, really cannot stress enough that I am not in support of this. And um, I really think that it needs to stay in the hands of the people. It is time for public health to focus on other things. Mental health, I mean, we had two suicides that were extremely public, very public that families came upon. We have got to address this. We have got to put this COVID thing behind us. Polis said the pandemic is over. We need to treat it as such. If we're gonna do this for this variant, then we need to do it for the cold, for the flu. If there's anything else going around, we need to continue to wear masks always then because otherwise it simply does not make sense. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ms. Jacobson. Um, next, I see Hope Cook. Hello, I'm a former public health nurse here in Robb County, and um, I just believe prevention is the way for cure. And maybe it isn't the cure-all, but it's doing something to make people aware of how disease is transmitted and putting a mask on is something that's very minor to do. And listening to, um, various sources around nationally, 
Uh, there are physicians who are putting their reputation on the line saying, look, we know it's really transmissible, but the best thing you can do is wear a mask and safely distance. And I don't see, I think if you all pass this mandate, you're giving such support to preventive medicine. And that's all I have to say. And thank you very much for, for addressing this subject. Thank you, Ms. Cook. Um, next, I have Clay Ogden. Um, hi, folks. Thank you so much for um, taking the time to deal with this. I'm a small business owner here in town. I strongly support um, the mandate. Um, as a business, um, we work with our staff and eventually mandated vaccines and boosters. Um, we also require our staff when they go on site to visit with clients that they wear good medical grade masks, KN95s and N95s. We had a little bit of resistance, but we've also very recently had our staff come back to us and thank us for our posture because they very strongly believe that it's helped to keep them healthy. Um, and uh, I, again, I, I know this hasn't been easy for you or for anyone else involved in this, but we very much um, support you in this process. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Ogden, really appreciate that. Um, next, I have Katherine Carson. Catherine, um, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself. It's the quietest Catherine's ever been. Okay, here I am. Here I am. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. The little box wasn't popping up. Hi, my name is Catherine Carson, and uh, I want to first thank um, the Rock County Commissioners and all of public health for your thoughtful consideration of um, taking care of our health of our community. I know how thoughtful and considerate you guys on this, and I just really appreciate your expertise. I want to apologize for my voice. I unfortunately do not have COVID. I have our good friend with laryngitis, um, which I'm very fortunate to have. But my comment today, I wanted to especially thank Dr. Morrison for her comments last week, I'm reminding everyone of how important it is for both us individually, but particularly public policy to protect those in our community who are vulnerable. And I think that's really where this um, ordinance comes into effect the most. I do support it. Yes, I recognize it's not gonna bat a thousand and get rid of Omicron tomorrow, but no public policy is. But it will take a step and protecting the vulnerable in our community when they need to go to the grocery store, when they need to go to the pharmacy. I know I heard on NPR, Dr. Glenda Gray, who is a president of the South African Medical Resource Council speak, and she stated the second biggest reason that South Africa got through the Omicron pandemic was because of their mask wearing in, in South Africa. So I encourage everyone to be kind, do the Route County way, support our neighbors, and once again, Dr. Morrison, thank you for being the champion of uh, the vulnerable in our community. And um, thank you to all the commissioners and the Board of Health for um, considering this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I am going to, um, Jen, if we could go back to Amy Pedersen at this point and see if she is able to be heard. Am I on this time? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, go ahead. Good. Thank you. Um, thank you all for taking public comments on this. 
the first thing I want to say is um, we hear so often from everybody um, that masks work. I would just like to ask a few questions regarding that um, and challenge that a little bit. Someone asked the question, do masks really work? Are they effective? And the smart aleck answer was, well, it depends on the study. And I think that that's really important to bring up because I know that you guys read all of the information that the WHO puts out and that the CDC puts out, but there are so many other sources for data besides just those two um, studies from Oxford University, from um, articles in the New England Journal of Medicine, National Center for Biotechnological Information, Cambridge University, Oxford Clinical Press, Influenza Journal, etc. And the data out there is not, there's no consensus between the scientific community and between the doctors that masks are effective at reducing the spread. Um, there's no consensus saying that um, masks are effective at keeping people healthy. Um, but that's too often what's pushed. So when people say we just all need to do our part and we need to mask up, I just question whether or not they're effective. So if that's your starting point that masks work, obviously you're gonna to wanna to put in a mask mandate because it works. If your starting point is, I don't know if masks work because the experts are divided on that one, then it really goes into the hands of the individual to determine what their risk level is and whether or not um, they're willing to go out into public, whether people are wearing masks or not. You know, for every, expert that comes across saying masks work, there's another expert on the other side that says that they don't. Um, if you look at all the statistics from countries that required masks and countries that didn't, you will find similar metrics. Same with counties, same with states, even here in Route County and Moffat County. Moffat County didn't enforce the mask mandate and their metrics were virtually the same as Route County. So to me, there's no um, conclusive evidence showing that the mask mandates work to stop the spread of this virus. Um, just a minute, I'm checking the rest of my notes here. Um, if there is uncertainty, which there is, then I ask you to, I strongly ask you to reconsider this mandate. There are definitely risks to wearing masks. They don't stop or slow the spread. When you look at the metrics and the charts and comparisons of different county states and countries you will see that having mask mandates really don't lower the numbers where there is risk there must be choice um, so again i state that i oppose mask mandates and i ask you strongly to reconsider thank you thank you very much um and jen could we go back to carrie Hi, um, can we, do we have video or only voice? Um, you can start your video if you wish to, I believe. I'm not positive. Okay. I'm not running the, not running okay. the show on that end, sorry. Okay, okay. Um, I'm Carrie Dennison Gower and I'm in opposition of this proposed order. Uh, thank you for allowing public opinion today. I wanted you to see my face over Zoom because I represent thousands from our community that voted you into service. I'm speaking in service to those, presenting you with an opportunity to remember that there are so many of us making up this community. You've been given the privilege to serve. We've been confident and complacent with your decisions regarding our health and well-being up to this point. 
And I'm here speaking as a human being, a mother, as a wife, a daughter, a sister, a friend, a cousin, an aunt, a healthcare provider, an employer, a local business owner, a supporter, and vital member of our community. Please consider this as an opportunity for you to hear from a majority that are afraid to speak up because of censorship and being ostracized by our local media. For 74 years, the World Health Organization has defined health as a state of physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. As a board of health in service of our entire county, this proposed policy regards nothing of the textbook definition of health. On the contrary, there's sufficient evidence to support that this policy, with its vague verbiage, proposed use of physical force, authorizing the Board of Health to shut down schools and businesses, poses more of a health threat than providence of health. Health is never an achievement. It's a continuous path of daily choices and actions. What you have listed are short-sighted, narrow, reactionary measures and in no way make people more healthy. Let's keep in mind that we are discussing a virus with a 99.97 survival rate. With the current local statistic of 554 people showing positive case, one hospitalization and zero deaths. I'm confused by the Board of Health statements of the numbers as well as the discriminated statistics. The lack of clarity from the Board of Health around the guidelines and statistics are very concerning. I ask for the thousands like me, who are you protecting? We have over two, two years worth of data and evidence, yet no amount of evidence will even be seen by this Board of Health. I know of countless residents who've expressed questions and concerns with no replies or even acknowledgement as a valuable citizen of this small community. Information can be provided to support anything, just like the previous person was saying. But my concern goes far beyond that. I'm deeply concerned for the physical, mental, and social well-being of our community from you, our elected service members, who think it's safe and healthy to even write a proposal that suggests physical force in any capacity is an acceptable step to take. This is breaching crimes against humanity. Speaking of which, I do hope you are aware of the recent conviction in legal filing to the International Criminal Court of Anthony Fauci and 15 others for genocide, crimes against humanity, and violations of the Nuremberg Code. Rather than follow in the footsteps of felons for our steamboat community, forge a new path with a sensical action. Jonathan, um, if you could wrap up your comments, please. Thank you. Yeah. See the whole picture. The use of face coverings is not a measure of creating health. It's reactionary. There are risks involved. There are multiple studies that pose lots of risks, inc including decrease in oxygen saturation, increase in blood carbon dioxide. The list goes on. There are risks involved with this. There's also studies that studied 25,000 children and 68% had negative side effects. These things cannot go unsaid. Thank you for remembering that the vast number and the diverse amount of people that you serve. Thank you very much. Um, we commissioners, we have exceeded our 30 minute time limit and we have um, heard from everyone who raised their hand initially as I had requested. Um, we do have a few folks who tried to um, jump in after that and I would just ask you if you'd be interested in extending public comment or if you believe we should move on at this point. Uh, uh, Madam Chair, as, as much as I uh, appreciate the uh, willingness and the desire of people to weigh in on this, I think you made 
the ground rules pretty clear at the beginning of, uh, of public comment. Um, my sense is, is that between the public comment we've heard today and what we've uh, received the large number of uh, contacts we've received in the preceding days, uh, I believe that uh, we've heard enough uh, in terms of comment that I think we should be prepared to move on and uh, consider what we wanna do next. Yeah, I would concur with that. We've given the opportunity for public comment. We've extended the time and everybody that got in under the, the line was heard. So I am prepared to move on. All right, thank you very much. So um, at the uh, pleasure of the board, we will go ahead and close public comment at this time. Thank you to um, everyone who joined us today um, to and those who sent emails um, ahead of our Board of Health meeting. Um, so I will turn it to the commissioners at this point. Are there any follow-up questions before we move to a roundtable? All right, so um, I will uh, turn it to Commissioner Corrigan to uh, make initial comments. Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, uh, first of all, I'd like to just take a moment to uh, thank Roberta and Dr. Harrington and Nicole and Dr. Morrison and all of our folks uh, on our public health staff. I think the work that they've done here over the last two years has been nothing short of heroic. Uh, I really appreciate uh, what I believe we've received, which is unbiased factual information from real experts, which I, uh, I think is a real luxury that we have here and puts us in a position to be able to make uh, the best uh, decisions possible. So uh, again, thank you, uh, public, sir, public health folks. Um, uh, Beth and Tim, forgive me if I'm gonna ramble on just a little bit here. And I think there's a chance that I may end up uh, uh, making some points that you guys are prepared to make, but um, uh, at the risk of uh, hogging the microphone, I'm going to go ahead and, and make a number of comments. The floor is yours, Commissioner Corrigan. Uh, so uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the, the large number of really thoughtful and passionate comments we have received via email and over the telephone over the last several days. I originally tried to respond individually to uh, a lot of those comments, but frankly, the sheer volume of them rendered that impossible. Uh, uh, and so I would like to apologize to folks that I just did not have the opportunity to respond to. Um, I do want to assure everyone that I read each and every one of the comments that I received and, and I have taken them to heart. And I actually very much appreciate, by and large, the respectful nature of the comments that we received, not only via email, but on our public comment today as well. Uh, it makes me uh, feel good about the, the folks that I serve here in Route County. So when this pandemic began, we had a great deal of uncertainty about the virus. Um, and we had very few uh, tools in our toolkit to help slow the spread. We did, we did the best we could, and I believe that the restrictions and the mitigations 
that we implemented both locally here, but in fact, across the country, did in fact make a difference in reducing illness and the loss of life. Having said that, we are in a very different place now than we were in March of uh, 2020. We know that vaccinations work. We know that large numbers of people have developed natural immunity. And we know that people have learned how to manage their own risk by avoiding large crowds, staying home when they are sick, getting tested when they may have been exposed, and most importantly, getting vaccinated. Uh, I think we heard earlier today, and I think we all acknowledge this, that this remains primarily a pandemic of the unvaccinated. All along, we have stated that our North Star was the capacity of our healthcare system, not case counts. And while I acknowledge that that system is being stressed, I have not heard compelling information that it is overwhelmed. I believe that there is good evidence that the Omicron variant is the next logical step in the transition of the virus from the pandemic to the endemic. And at this time, I do not believe a mask mandate will work better than people accepting personal responsibility to take care of themselves and their community. And I also acknowledge there are negative consequences to people in our community struggling with mental health issues. I feel very strongly, and I have stated this all along, that our school districts with their elected and accountable school boards are as well equipped as we are to make decisions in the best interest of their students and staff. Public health orders are a very powerful tool that can uniquely impact our community. We should only implement public health orders in the most dire of circumstances and when we truly believe they will make a difference. I understand that many in our community will strongly disagree with my position here. And I have enough humility to understand I might be wrong. And I will have no reluctance to bring this back up if our situation deteriorates in the coming days. Uh, so Madam Chair, I think the long and short of that is I am not prepared to support a, uh, a new public health order at this time. Thanks, Commissioner Corrigan. Uh, sorry, I had to run to my front door, <laughs> but I am back now and I heard everything you said. Um, Commissioner Redmond, uh, the floor is yours. Thank you. You know, um, the last few days have really shown me the passion of our community. Um, on both sides of the issue. Um, and I'd like to go and make a statement and in support of what Commissioner Corrigan said that I very was in, very impressed with how thoughtful, well thought out and um, thought provoking your emails and comments were. Um, very heartfelt, very sincere, and again, I wanna say I appreciate the respectful nature of the emails. Um, but as I look at this situation, um, whereas I do believe a mass mandate could help, I don't think that it by itself 
will really move the ball down the field, get us towards the goal that, that where we want to be. Um, I honestly believe that it would take fairly restrictive measures across the board, capacity, um, you know, quite possibly shutting down some businesses. But I believe that we are in a transition from pandemic to endemic. This is now a point in time where I believe that we as a society, a nation, and individuals will have to learn how to proceed and live our lives as we move forward. Um, I do believe we're in a very different position than we were a year ago. We have tools, we have vaccines, we have therapeutics, um, and we have knowledge of how we should conduct ourselves in situations. Um, I've had situations where I pulled up in front of a busy supermarket and decided that I didn't feel it was worth the risk to go in there and shop at that time. Um, yeah, I've made choices not to go to situations because I was going to go visit a friend that was coming out of chemotherapy and I did not want to carry any contagion to him. So we're in a situation where we have to take personal responsibility. Um, I believe we have tools that are disposable to do that and that we need to be respectful and thoughtful how we conduct our lives in relationship to our neighbors. Um, I will tell you that, that this is tough because I've had um, some very personal emails and texts from people that I know and really respect um, begging for a mask mandate. Um, but I don't think that that by itself is a solution. And I want a total solution, not a partial solution. Um, and I believe that we are and are capable and need to be personally responsible and take care of ourselves and our fellow man. Um, so at this point in time, I am not in support of a mass mandate. I understand that this is a very fast moving situation. And if there's anything I've learned from COVID is not to have the expectations and to be adaptable. And I'm going to maintain that stance. Um, as if we move forward, I look back on this and don't feel this was a proper decision. I will have no problem revisiting it. But at this point in time, I am not in support of a mass mandate. Thank you, Commissioner Redmond. Um, I, I think we're all on the same page with this. Um, I'll just add a few comments. I, I want to be very, very clear that there is, I, I think I speak for all of us, public health and the commissioners, that no one here has any doubts about the severity of COVID, the effectiveness of vaccines, um, the importance of masks in um, the fight against COVID, both to date and going forward, um, or the validity of the data that's been shared. And um, unfortunately, I think there, there may be some folks who do doubt those things, who see this as a win for them. And I just want to be very clear that that is not what's happening here. Um, I believe that 
the power to issue public health orders is incredibly significant. Um, and it is a power of government that should not be overused. And as Commissioner Corrigan said, um, we really see that what has been our North Star, which is our capacity of our hospital and our medical system, is not under stress despite the significant increase in cases. That could change, and we could determine that the need for utilizing that power um, has returned. But I, at this point, I am in agreement that um, this, uh, the issuance of a new public health order um, is not justified at this time. Um, I, I do want to really make sure that we thank and applaud the businesses and the individuals who are taking steps to limit risk. Um, I don't. I don't think any of us wants to send the message to the community that um, the risk is over and that nobody needs to take precautions anymore. I think we want to continue to encourage um, that businesses require masks um, and vaccines, that individuals get vaccinated, wear a mask, and especially limit their interaction with others as we um, ride out what is hopefully one of our final. Um, impactful waves of this virus. Um, and so I want that message to our community to be very, very clear um, that in no way are we saying that the risk has passed and um, that we certainly believe that everyone should continue to take those steps moving forward. Um, again, for me, this decision is about the gravity of issuing a public health order and the significant responsibility that we have as elected officials um, to utilize that tool only when we believe that it is absolutely necessary. Um, I don't know if that will continue to be the case next week or next month or after that. Um, you know, things change. And as they have throughout this entire pandemic, um, we don't know what we don't know yet. And I think I appreciate public health and the commissioner's commitment to being flexible, to learning new things, integrating new information as it comes to us um, and, and moving forward appropriately. So um, it, it sounds to me like we have agreement um, that we are not going to be considering this public health order today. Um, and then I would believe that no action is needed as a result. Um, if, if you disagree with me on that front, please uh, speak now, commissioners, but otherwise I, I believe that's our path um, forward at this time. I would, I guess, like to um, just invite uh, Dr. Harry Harrington or Roberta to um, let us know if, um, if this is of significant concern to you that we head in this direction at this time. Thanks, Commissioner Melton, for this opportunity. And I do want to stress to our community that um, we are not done with this and 
we do um, to reiterate um, uh, Commissioner Redmond's comments about personal responsibility and with public health as well, you know, if we can be of assistance to offer signage or um, understanding what um, the best recommendations are for mitigation strategies in businesses. We're happy to share those resources as needed to really um, help guide um, those um, organizations to um, you know what what's best and what the current recommendations are. Um, we do have a plethora of information on our website, so I encourage everyone to visit there first. Um, but definitely, um, you know, as you mentioned, things are changing and things change rapidly, and we don't know um, what next week might bring. So definitely, um, we will continue to um, keep you posted. Keep you updated if there are any significant changes in that direction. Um, all right, with that, I, I do think um, that a lot of the requests we've received for mask mandates uh, or a public health order have pertained to consistency in messaging. Um, especially to visitors. And so uh, on behalf of the commissioners, I would think we would all agree that we would um, like to request uh, staff to do um, what you can um, to provide that support for businesses um, and to ensure that they have what they need um, in order to enforce those, um, those requirements with their uh, customers. Um, so with that, I think we are through for today, and um, I believe that our next meeting time is on Monday. Thank you all very much. Thank you.